Hey gamers, this is part two of a three-part series, Gaming in the 70s. If you haven't listened to part one yet, I would suggest you go back and listen to that first as we just jump right back into the conversation here on part two. This is our third season. I hope you guys are enjoying what we've done so far and you'll remain a fan of what we're doing in the future. Uh, Thanks for listening. And without further ado, part two, Gaming in the 70s. Yo, sucker, dig. Welcome to the Funkalicious, Funktastic, Tri-Tech Games Funkcast. This is also the era where you had show talking about TV shows. This is shows they had like Maud and Rhoda and Mary Tyler Moore and Policewoman and One Day at a Time. Yeah, Maud was very, very progressive for its time. Hold on, wait, hey James, let, let's get you in on this. Okay, so we we played, uh, we were Total Con and, and we were playing Bad Mothers, and I think. Most of us were – were we all females? We were all females, weren't we? Yeah, because it was kind of a, a Charlie's Angels thing that you were doing. Right, and then we had Charlie's Angels, of course. So if you're role-playing in the 70s, okay, having female strong characters, you, you know, they're not going to feel this crunch uh, of social – like the, the, the real social feelings because this is a, a role-playing game. And if it's your character, you know, you might have to deal with some of it, but let's not – you know – you're you're role playing and it's your character. So if somebody starts down the lines of, you know, that's not a place for a woman. That's where you smack that guy, you know, and put him in his place because you're the, you know, you're the player character, and of course you can do that and get away with it. Well, I think the important thing when setting up the '70s environment for a role playing game is, I think really you have to take political correctness and throw it out the window. Yeah, close that window and don't let it back into that session's over. Um, you're going to hear a lot of, you know, and I, you know, I hate to say that I do encourage language that, you know, today is, you know, considered a no-no, but, you know, you can ask Blix at the, at the one game that I ran at TotalCon, there was, I mean, the, the N-word and other associated words were being thrown around like it was, uh, you know, putting a and in a sentence. Okay. Well, that's the thing on that, that would be something where you get, um, Oh, there's a. I want to. I, I guess mutual consent would be the best term. Ask everyone at the table right off the bat. Okay, due to the genre we are playing, is anyone here going to have problem with these words being bandied about, as per the character, as per the genre? If so, we'll, we won't go there. That tacit consent, I think, is the term. Oh yeah, no. Like when I when I especially when I run at cons, there's always a mature audiences label on my games just because cya i am yeah. running a con i'm running a game next week at conclave 
up in Romulus, Michigan. Yeah, I there are times that I have to if because there are kids at these games, I got to yeah. watch that. So the seventies, oh yeah, because there were a lot of mature themes and whatnot yeah. with the black exploitation and with women mm-hmm. and yeah, you if you're going to be running a game, you got to sit there and you know cover your bases and just say, okay, we're going to be dealing with some themes here. They may not necessarily be explicit. Well, this is actually a good segue into talking about setting up a, a game in the 70s. So I think we talked about it earlier that there are several different genres that you can go when dealing with the 70s. Obviously, the whole black exploitation um, theme is probably one of the most popular. Uh, so if you look at the average plot of a, of a black exploitation film, about 99% of the films, they always have the major boss or the big bad guy who control, you know, who is a killed the boyfriend or girlfriend of the hero who is trying to push drugs in a neighborhood, who is trying to scare people out of a neighborhood. Usually the villain is always a white guy, too. We will call him for future reference, the man or Mr. Big is another. another Yeah, that was another one. Yeah. So Mr. Big would come into the neighborhood, he'd start roughing up places, start burning down buildings, start you know blackmailing, hooking people on drugs, and it was the hero of the story who always seemed to you know fight in the power, fight in the man, not you know not let everything drag it down. And it is a very common theme amongst that particular genre of film is um, you know you have the the white villain or the white devil, his his minions and how he's infiltrating. Um, you know, that particular uh, part of, you know, the city or, or culture. It's, you know, and I guess in a sense, yes, the, it was kind of created to uh, pretty much put the, the white man or, you know, whitey into that position of being the villain to, you know, to kind of promote a, an African-American or even just non-white cultured hero. You know, so it, again, it can be easily set up with, uh, the plot of Mr. Big uh, trying to do X and our hero trying to get in there and, you know, stop it, put an end to it. So, so if we're, if we're playing, um, if we're playing Bureau 13, all right, and, and we got the situation because, you know, in Bureau 13, you're usually fighting, um, usually fighting like supernatural beings and stuff, but let's, let, let's go down this road. Let's say your character is friends with, or let's say, okay, let's say one of the one of the team members is a black guy, and you know uh, his family living in an area where the man is, is is stomping down on him, and you know he he doesn't want to stand for it, and he brings a team in, and he's just like, look, you know, I know this isn't, we're gonna go off the off the grid a little bit here, you know, this isn't normally what we do, you know, there's no monsters involved or whatever, but you know, this guy is, is messing with my family, or, or messing with friends of mine, or you know, um, someone's asked me to help him. Well, you can take a chance of getting sanctioned at that point. You know. So I mean, th- does know. the team get involved? Do they do they roll in and and take care of this man? You know, the man. They, they they might do it, but it'd have to be in a very unofficial capacity because there's no supernatural thing. It, it it's not a bureau. It's not under the bureau's uh, aegis. Right, but there is a strong sense of social conscience in the seventies. So yeah, you might not do it for that reason, but you might do it. Just because, you know, that sucker's got to pay. 
Yeah, of course, you know, being bureau agents, you're not going to go in there and beat them up because anyone can do that. You're bureau agents. You're going you're gonna to pull a scam on them. Being bureau agents means you can pull a supernatural scam on them. You know, everything about, you know, basically you're going to do it with, I think we probably call a Dickens on them. Oh, I'm sorry, a what? A Dickens. What's that? You know, or more like known as a Scrooge. Scrooge. Oh, gotcha. Okay, okay, okay. <laughs> Okay, uh, I was going to say, it's going to be uh, a big show back then was Mission Impossible, and I'm sure that you'd dr- run your, your op very much like that. Only you're, you're going to have supernatural elements to it in this case. You can convince us being, he's being haunted, you know, or being punished for what he's doing, and uh, hopefully get him, get him committed and, and taken out of there. What would be but, a, good, a good thing for a, a 70s-esque game like this? Make Give the man some supernatural element. Oh, we could do that. Sure, sure. He's like a demon or something. Then. Yeah, or he really you know, is really, a white devil. No, no, no. He, <laughs> if you want to be, if you can do Black Toy Station, he's got voodoo behind him. He's got a voodoo priestess working for him. Or you, the term white she devil, she could really be a devil. Something sure. like that. Uh, and remember, a big film that came out during the seventies was The Exorcist. Demon possession it was the first time it hit on the public eye. So yes, yeah. But don't forget, you also have he goes to be a blackula. So an idea is, and especially since we're talking about earlier computers and punch cards, what about the man being a, a person who has his spells on punch cards? He's a wizard. He has his spells on punch card, and his magic comes from this giant computer that he works in it's in this building it's locked down and the agents have to get in to try to shut it down but each of the punch cards is a different spell that can control this and that or summon things oh yeah like like he's he's okay here we go he's um he's trying to take over the neighborhood so he's trying to own the whole block is he going to sell it to some corporation or something wants to you know tear it all down and, and build a mall or some something like that right and He's actually using his his magical abilities through these punch cards to get into the water department to uh, to 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 actually have these houses foreclosed on because of their their water bills and you know you got some you got an old black lady and she's like you know I paid my bill I know I paid it and and but the water company's saying I didn't and they're gonna take my house from me you know and that whole you know that whole thing where you, you know your characters just like have to go in there and 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 help these people save their houses. Um, and save the whole neighborhood from being taken over by this this evil you know this this evil um, uh, I don't know slumlord guy who who's using magic through his computer to to uh, to make it seem like you know and the water company's like no 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 they didn't pay their bill and you're like no no they did we have records of it and he's like no if you look at our computer records they did not yeah that was the first time a computer paying computer you know, computers controlling stuff was really a, a good excuse. Yes, they 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 could forge those paper records, but nobody can forge a computer record. Right, exactly. So so then you'd have to go, you know, you have to go stop this guy and and reverse this or or something, you know, um, as bureau agents or, or like. All right, so how does a fringeworthy team? What's a fringeworthy team do in this time? That you know they come to the seventies and. Well, okay, I, I I was sort of skirting around this because, but this was actually an actual issue with some of my friends during this time. Uh, they're about to turn eighteen, and we're still in Vietnam. And I knew I I knew folks who were saying, "No, we got yeah," who were saying they were seriously thinking about going going north to Canada. 
you know, you know, and there was very, there was, they were very serious about that. And it was, it was in a lot of people's mind, you know, you're going to become an adult. We're still in Vietnam. We're fighting a war. We're going to get drafted. They set off to get killed. That was in a lot of people's, a lot of people's minds back then. You know, that is, you know, it, but like I said, in the early seventies, uh, as you get, as, as it, as we go past that, then of course it's, you know, stop being an issue. Well, okay. Hold on, John. Hold on, John. 1974. I turned 18. Okay. I had to register. I was graded one a, okay. Higher, low number. It, I, no, I wasn't in the lottery. I was just merely graded. Okay. The next year, 1976, was when they turned the lottery off. 74, I'm sorry, 75. 74, the year I turned it, you know, 18, they were still doing the lottery, but I wasn't eligible yet for the lottery. That's so, you know, that's the year that it changed was 75. Wow. Right. And and there's, you know, there's, I don't know how true this is, but there's, um, they, they talk about how we were still kind of over there into 74. Like we pulled out officially in 72, but there was still stuff going on until well, the 74. Sa- the fall Saigon, I think, is 75. Okay, I so believe. so we still got some involvement over in Vietnam. But the best part is is that if you want to play a character in this time, if you're playing – you set your campaign in the 70s, man, you have a awesome like – kick-ass adventurer because you can play a Vietnam vet. You know, this is a guy who has seen some really bad stuff and can be a real, you know, bad mother. You can be Rambo. Right, he can be Rambo, right? Right. Before Rambo. Right, he's like, he's like, you know, he is is like your team's, you know, hard-hitting dude because, you know, he has burned villages down or whatever it takes, you know. He he is a, 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 you know, get-it-done kind of guy. Well, another and a thing that might fit perfect in for a fringeworthy team. I wrote a scenario a while back called My Lay Revisited because that was one of the ma- a huge thing of of Nam was the whole My Lay massacre where this this troop went in there and completely slaughtered an entire village and no one and everyone that was questioned afterward really had no idea why they went that route. Like they were just completely screwed up in the head. They just they did this deed, and for whatever reason, they just don't remember why they did it. And this would be a great thing for a, a group to go back and investigate what actually went on in my lay. What was the actual issue there? Yeah, because there are worlds that are time regressed, that just time is not crept as quickly as it did on Earth Prime, so you can go back to any time in the past. In the 70s, something like that would be very good to do because that would give historians a chance to sit mm-hmm. there and go find out what may have happened and give them insight back on Earth Prime's history. But yeah, I've never heard of the My Lay Offensive. Uh, My Lay Massacre, yeah. yeah. My Lay Massacre, I'd never heard of that. My dad was in Vietnam. He was a machinist and I never, I've heard of the Tet Offensive. Yeah, I heard of that. Everybody's, but the My Lay no, I've never heard of that one. It was important because it was the we were over there saving the Vietnamese. We were it would, American soldiers were constantly being painted as heroes, just like they are today, you know. Uh, but and the 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 establishment was trying very hard to make everyone appreciate the Vietnam veterans and things like that, uh, even though there was a very strong anti-war movement. But when uh, 
when the the massacre happened, it was almost like the army the the the, the, the had betrayed itself in the eyes of, of the people. From that point on, everyone who looked at a Vietnam vet looked at a baby killer. They thought, and that and that's what and, and a lot of the soldiers who came back felt that they had been entirely abandoned by their own country because of what happened that 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 that, that watershed television uh, uh, documentation of what had happened over there in Vietnam. Yeah, because um, get a little into it here. You had what was known as guerrilla warfare. I'm. As I said, the younger people, again, that might be listening, where they would strap a grenade to a kid, walk him into an army base, and you would have known this kid. I mean, this kid was, you know, little little foe from the village, and all of a sudden he's walked in, he's got like six grenades strapped to him. Yeah. And he pulls the pin, and, you know, boom. So you did not know who was friend or foe over there. That is why they that the Miley uh, offensive or the, the Miley Massacre happened, that they went in and did that because they literally did not know friend or foe. Good morning, Vietnam. That was where the young Vietnamese boy was found out to be a conspirator. And Adrian Cronauer had to be sent away because he was friends with this kid. Everyone thought that he was just the local Vietnamese, and no, he had North Vietnamese ties. So... Yeah, my, my dad, to this day, there is stuff that... He, and he was not a combatant. As I said, he was a machinist. And there's stuff to this day that my father will not talk about. And my dad is 63 years old. So, yeah, the, the Vietnam War was just bad all around. And, yeah, our, our veterans were just... I'll, I'll say it, screwed over. And this is something I, I don't want to get in any type of, you know, urinating match over. But... It it just yeah it was not a good time but it would be a good time it would it's a good background for Bureau Thirteen characters because of that go get them you know they are combat trained they have seen about the worst that the mundane could offer and as far as Bureau Thirteen characters concerned those Vietnam vets brought back a lot of artifacts from the that area of the country of the world. And therefore, they would be bringing back all kinds of supernatural related items as well. Maybe not even realizing the potency of the things they were bringing back. Yeah, they're bringing like Vietnamese trinkets that they may have found in a village somewhere or in some little shop. And they end up having like magic spells attached to them or curses or whatever. And these guys are having flashbacks and, and post-traumatic stress disorder anyways, and they think that what they're seeing is, is uh, imaginary. They think they're, it's, they're, it's, an, it's just part of their sickness, when in fact is it could very well be real in Bureau 13. It could be some artifact that's taking them back to Vietnam and reenacting what, what, what happened. And think, think about the whole, like, if you're playing a Vietnam veteran and you're, and you're playing Bureau 13, you know, it could go. It could go one of two directions. So Bureau Thirteen has recruited you because you know you're a soldier, or whatever. And maybe you've seen some stuff over there because in Vietnam, I'm sure there was all kinds of crazy, you know, supernatural stuff going on. Because I'm, you know, when you when you're talking about war, and we talked about this before in some of the other episodes, you know, the uh, these kind of conflicts bring out the supernaturals because you know they use them for various purposes. And of course, the supernaturals are using you know these superpowers. For purposes as well, and you, you know you got and the supernatural creatures 
we're encroaching on their habitat when we carpet bomb them. Right. Well, well right, or exactly. Agent, or Agent Orange of Forest, all those dryads go, you took down right. my tree. <laughs> right. Well, I'm thinking, you know, vampires slipping into, you know, enemy encampments and, you know, you're talking about ghouls being able to, you know, ghouls are thriving. They're just like, yeah, kill more people. Great. Um, but, but our schools are very European. We're talking, you know, you got to go for the Asian version, or at least the Vietnamese, ver- Vietnamese version of those critters. But they, they've got to have them. So, you know, so so what I what I'm thinking is is that so you got this character who comes back, and the, and the bureau wants to recruit him because he has seen some stuff that most people never ever see. You know, he's toughened. He can handle stuff. So you know, when he has to go into a building, and you have you know, children, vampires, or, or, you know, you've got stuff that normal people just cannot deal with. You know, this is the kind of guy I'll take a flamethrower to that stuff because he's already done it. But at the same time, you know, they're having to deal with the opposite end of that in that, yeah, this is a guy who's had to deal with this stuff before. So you have to deal with all the baggage he's coming back with too, you know? So yeah, he's, he, you know, he's hardened and he can do this kind of stuff. But at the same time, you might have this guy, you might have to talk him down from a ledge every other week because he has done this stuff before. So you could have a very – I mean you could have a really – if you wanted to, a really interesting character um, depending on how you play him, depending on how, you know, how into your character you are. Um, you could have a character who's like super dynamic. You know, It's just like uh, you know, he, some kid – is actually turns out to be some monster and he's the guy that greases him because he's the guy that can do it. The rest of the team can't, you know, it's just like, Hey man, that was a kid. He's just like, yeah, that was a demon actually is what that was. And they're just like, no, no, it was a kid. He's like, no, it was a demon. But then later on, he's just, you know, he's having to deal with the fact that, you know, he's, he's having to deal with the fact that he's the guy who could grease a kid. So he's like, yeah, what's wrong with me? I'm the guy that can do that. You know, how messed up am I? So it's just you know the, the the two sides of that that you can play is you know when you're playing out your character, so it just makes for a very like really intricate character if if you want it to be. Well, you were talking about Fringeworthy, and since Fringeworthy is more primarily oriented towards science fiction, keep in mind that the uh, 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 the, the the threat of imminent global destruction by nuclear weapons was still very much alive in the seventies. And it was quite possible for you to run into some kind of a uh, of a spy ring or some plan to steal nuclear weapons from a silo out in Kansas and all kinds of things. It's you know as as fringeworthy people, you might recognize uh, be able to get information that other people wouldn't get with your you know uh, with, with your long distance microphones and using some of your high tech devices you know like aerial uh, surveillance and drones and stuff like that you might be able to uncover a lot of stuff that other people might not be able to realize and just kind of getting into the science fiction aspect of it um, even uh, the American government can make a great villain because uh, late 60s, early 70s, there was a lot of experimentation with Project MK Ultra, which dealt with mind control through the use of drugs, especially LSD. So, I mean, things like that could also just kind of eke their way into... Is that where the basis for the movie The Men Who Stare at Goats came from? Yes. The recent George Clooney movie? Mm-hmm. M- yeah, Project MK Ultra. It was... Uh... Which was an awesome movie, by the way, if you've never seen it. My daughter saw it. She said it was fantastic, yeah. 
And Firestarter, which involved, you know, uh, a very dark government agency, was published in 1980, but was set definitely in the 70s. Ah, the movie Drew Barrymore, yes. Right, but based on the novel by Stephen King. So, you know, that, you know, that had a very dark uh, agency. Right, and if you're playing, if you're playing you know, uh, Bureau 13, of course, that's very real. You know, of course the government's doing that. You know, or, or you're of course doing some, it. Yeah, yeah. You're doing it, right. Some agency is doing it. It's realistic. And there were a lot of movies about people with ESP abilities during those days. Scanners, like I say, Firestarter. You know, so Fringeworthy could easily run into a uh, ESP-type uh, situation, which would have been perfectly believable to people living in that era. Uh, if you are Fringeworthy, and this, this is a thought... And you're coming from the from 2010. The first thing you probably probably freak you out is not the technology, not the clothing. It's the prices. Loaf of bread, a quarter. Tank of gas, a gallon of gas, sixty seven cents. And that was after the that's after the oil embargo. Yeah, it's it's prices are like you know, well. What's what's a loaf of bread go these days, Bruce? I don't buy well, bread. Well, I buy bread so. for a dollar seventy, but I but it easily goes up to four dollars depending upon who you're buying from. And, and what what is gas now? Like three fifty? It fluctuates, but about three fifty is about right. But people didn't make yeah. But I was making uh, two dollars and ninety cents per hour back then too. Yeah, median income is like nine thousand, ten thousand dollars. So it's all comparative. <laughs> Yeah, but but you know, if you used to coffee shops, no coffee shops. You go to you go to Dunkin' Donuts, or the equivalent to get coffee if you want coffee. Right. No, nobody was in the coffee back then. I mean, you know, coffee was like something that you know men drank in the morning. Sometimes. Are you, are you talking about the seventies? There were coffee shops all over the place, but they weren't they weren't coffee shops like music dens. They were they were like little places where you had breakfast and coffee, and that and and. Like I said, yeah. Dunkin' Donuts. Well, they, they, I mean, know, I'm talking, there were lots and lots. Big chains really hadn't taken over yet. They were just starting to then. There were lots and lots of individual little coffee shops and restaurants that were owned by, you know, little mom-and-pop type businesses. Yeah, but Bruce, Bruce, they weren't coffee shops. They were breakfast places. Well, no, there's a traditional coffee houses. I mean, the whole beatnik movement really kind of got all those little, um, you know, places where they'd go read poetry or sing. You know, they coffee 70s. shops like that, and they had, yeah, nonsense. But you might you might find at least one or two of those shops still sitting around, and they would have the they had the Italian espresso machine in the back, the big fancy Italian espresso machine to make make you a little dimitas of coffee, of, of espresso. There were beautiful chrome machines that looked like they should have been tacked onto a yeah, yeah. steampunk looking, yeah, yeah. Well, I wouldn't be surprised if they were used in some science fiction machine, science fiction movies of its time. All right, so guys, let's you know, let's bring us around to gaming. Let's like really, really roll this into gaming. So it's nineteen seventies for whatever you know, either bureau or your fringeworthy or or whatever, whatever game system you're playing. What adventures are there? What do you what do you do? Oh heck, you got the. Uh, let's stick with science fiction for a second. You have it's it's we're we're on the moon, we're going to the moon, we're in space. You know, uh, the, the pick off a movie uh, which I have not seen and I don't recommend anyone to see, uh, Apollo eighteen. Hey, you know this is probably when the Bureau of 
founds its, if you're doing Bureau 13, this is when you, Bureau founds its moon base on the backside of the moon. <laughs> you know, it's a, it's a place, or you're dealing, or, you know, you're dealing with uh, a problem with, in, in, at Cape Kennedy, and you get, you know, you got help, help uh, prevent, you know, uh, Apollo, Apollo 13 from blowing up in the pad. Still blows up, but, you know, at least it doesn't blow up in the pad. <laughs> Or you got – how about um, something like Invasion of the Body Snatchers? Maybe instead of it, instead of it being so like over the top the way Body Snatchers was because, I mean, that was pretty much a lose kind of situation. But let's say you take it down a notch where the characters actually have a chance to stop it. So you could have like an Invasion of the Body Snatchers where um, it, it's not quite as widespread and the characters have a chance to um, actually do something about it. That would be kind of a cool adventure. Or even something like a complete mystery of um, Close Encounters of the Third Kind, which is also 70s, which was an amazing film for its time. So so what would be the adventure there, uh, James? You got, um, you got aliens coming to Earth and... Yeah, you just have this big enigma of this spaceship that's hovering over somewhere, say, in the Midwest. No one knows what's happening with it. It's just... We can't communicate with it, and that's just honestly the adventure right there is trying to figure out what they are, who they are, why are they here. Right. And then, of course, Cthulhu always makes a great appearance anywhere. <laughs> um, it, 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 you know, in the 70s, Cthulhu's good. Um, you've got a lot of, um, you know, you got a lot of, of Satan worshiping going on during that time. Oh, yeah. Anton LaVey. Um... What was it? Uh, Charles Manson is in the, the late 60s, but. You know, that's pretty close. You could have a Manson-like figure in the 70s. Oh, don't forget, this is the time of, of, our, of, of the show's name, of, of our game's name, of Bureau 13's namesake. This is the time of Koshak, the Night Stalker. Mm. <laughs> right, right. You know, there's plenty of adventure hooks right there if you just want to look at the show plots <laughs> for that series. I think this was the 70s. Something akin to Jim Jones. Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. Yes. Guyana's Town, I believe. Oh, no. Jamestown, oh, Guyana. Where, yeah, and you can do this both either French way or if you're doing Bureau 13, this is when Sun Yen Yen gets his start. Oh, Boonies. These religious cults coming up in weird, out of the way places down in the world. Um, yeah. Again, for the younger gamers, if you've ever heard the term, you know, oh, you drank the Kool Aid, that was due to Jim Jones. Had his cult down in South America, and they drank Kool-Aid, and it was a mass suicide. So that you could throw a supernatural bent on that, saying, oh, what is the term? Apotheosis, where you do a mass killing to gain infernal power. You could have the Bureau agents go after that somehow and just have it like within the American borders, like in the Great Plains somewhere up in the Pacific Northwest, some out-of-the-way place where you know no one's going to be looking. Hey, also let's let's go a little more mundane with this. Just, I mean, you don't you don't always have to go crazy, you know, with the with the supernatural and, and all that. If you want to go completely mundane, you got to remember Coke. You know, cocaine is making its appearance in the seventies. You know, you could have an adventure that that revolves around that. You know, you want to stop um, a shipment of so, stuff from Colombia, right? Because it's you know it's it's corrupting a neighborhood or something like that. You know, it's it's um, uh, you can always get involved with that. Well, another one, Blix, is you can take something like Studio 54 or nightclubs like that that were really popular, and possibly those clubs are the base of a cult that uh, are forming at these clubs. You know, people oh, are coming sure. in getting mind-controlled. 
Yeah, maybe maybe Studio Fifty Four. Some you know, take Studio Fifty Four and say a demon is running that club, and he's you know he's uh, draining the life out of young people. So like young people go missing in the town, and you know your investigators start investigating that, and it turns out that a lot of them, the last time they were seen it, were were at Studio Fifty Four. You know, because it's this hip club that attracts a lot of young people. You know, there's it it it's very upscale and very um you know chaotic and for someone to go missing from there you know the owner can say i don't know he was fine when he left here you know he lived a wild lifestyle it's just a wild place you know anything could have happened to him yeah i mean using drugs also as a um a basis for the story like one of the popular drugs that came from the disco era was amyl nitrate being used as poppers you know, I mean, things like that. There's just so many, so many things that you can do with, you know, strange occult drugs or just adding a supernatural twist to something like that. I, I remember that uh, McDonald's was really popular with the cocaine set because they had the little coffee stirring spoons that were just right for one snort. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right. Uh, well, my experience in the 70s regarding this was this was the era in which we finally became aware that we had the ability to destroy uh, not the world, but the world's ability to support us. The idea of pollution actually becoming a huge disaster hit the, hit the American public. I mean, this was the era in which you had uh, nightly news reports where they would tell you what the pollution count was in your area, you know. This is where we, we were talking about having needing legislation. This is where the EPA was created, where we needed legislation to keep big government and, and big business from literally killing us. You know, uh, but this was, this was a situation where we had a lot of stories and a lot of movies came out about not nature gone wild, but nature responding to eliminate the threat that was against it, which was man itself. Well, Bruce, I was going to say, you know, a perfect example that that you know people can can look up, and, and it's it's really a, an awesome uh, example in response to this is if you look at the 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 Super Friends show from the seventies, they almost always dealt with pollution. There was like there was like this, this pollution really. Um, permeated the super friends in the in the early we, we episodes. We honestly believe that it was possible that in the, the if this goes on kind of concept that we would uh, would be walking around with air tanks and masks because we couldn't breathe the air that the that the air the rain itself would be acidic enough to burn us and that uh, that people would literally be dying off in massive quantities because of Oh the- yeah, foaming yeah, foaming rivers. There, there are pictures of it was a perfectly good mountain stream, and because of all the chemicals and the runoff and evaporation, the water cycle, you had rivers that were literally foaming soap suds type foam, not just you know frothy white rapids. We're talking. It looked like somebody put in bubble bath into a, a, a forest brook. I remember seeing this picture in a magazine. So, yeah, it was all this pollution that ended up starting what we know today as Earth Day, and I think that happened in the 80s. But all this pollution in the 70s that we've been talking about just now is what led to that Earth Day. So, yeah, that could be a massive problem for, I mean, uh, a government, or not government, a corporation 
dumping something in, in water and something could be happening there and you could put that in Bureau 13 or a Fringeworthy game. Wait, tra tra wait, wait Trav, in, in my, when I was in high school in Pittsburgh, we had a river nearby that caught on fire. Oh, yeah, the yeah, like the Cuyahoga River in, in Ohio near Cleveland, yeah. That's how bad the pollution was. Yeah. This was this was the era that brought about the crying Indian who wasn't really Indian. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah that's right. He's Jewish, right? <laughs> Which is it's really an insult. I mean, it really. I, I look, I'm laughing at it, but it's not funny. But the message was good. The message was good. It was just delivered by the wrong person. Now, now if you talk, now if you talk about uh, about pollution, there was uh, I don't even remember this TV series. It was called The Name of the Game. And they had an episode called LA 2017. Basically, the, the hero of the series ended up going into a despotic future where they basically, it was so polluted outside, they had, they'd be living, everyone's living inside of buildings and they're living inside archaeologies to survive. They were underground. Underground, yes. Yeah, it was just, a, I remember watching this as a kid. Was, I remember watching that and saying, this is a great series. Then I watched the next episode going, what the? <laughs> Well, it, that's one of the few episodes I saw because it was a science fiction episode. But yes, that was a great show with Gene Barry. Yeah, but also it's written by Steven Spielberg. But you know, let, let's get back to um, um, playing characters in this time because you know we're talking about pollution and all that kind of stuff. And that does that affect you know our, our character play and such? Maybe not so much. Well, I don't know. I mean, like you said, because Bureau Thirteen, you know, part of their man, uh, mandate isn't just to stop the supernatural, but also to stop threats that are against the, the 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 stability of the United States. If they find out that somebody is uh, releasing a toxin into the water uh, that will cause you know, thousands of people to become sick, you know, because they, they can or because they don't believe that it's really going to be bad, you know, this within the Bureau 13 uh, mandate to go ahead and do it and stop them. Okay, so, so wait, hold on. That's a new angle that I've never considered, that I've never heard about with Bureau 13, but it, but it makes sense. You know, so if a company is getting away with murder, let's say they're bribing a politician to allow them to continue to, to you know, to dump waste into a river that's affecting a community and maybe even even really badly. The community is complaining, but they can't get anything done because, of, you know, the, this corporation has that politician who controls that in their pocket. Um, would the So the bureau might – so you're saying that the bureau might get tasked with going in there and taking care of business – you know, kind of under the radar. It's kind of like, look, we know this politician uh, is allowing this to happen. Yeah. Don't, don't forget that the Bureau is operating outside the law. Right. So the Bureau could go in there and, and do that mission underneath that politician. Maybe even, you know, uh, their, the part of their mission might be to take that politician out. Yeah. Well, it, it, that's true. I'm thinking of uh, another plot. It would be a... a um, Pollution rate. It was a, it was a movie called Prophecy. It dealt with mercury poisoning, and the monster was a giant mutated bear, mutant bear, basically. <laughs> oh wow! I remember that movie. Yes, yeah. this goes on, guys. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that would be a, it would make for an excellent bureau adventure because this bear was well, pardon my French, badass. <laughs> yeah, because there was a whole lot of movies that came out like that. There was The Day of the Animals. There was Piranha. 
there was, you know, um, uh, oh, uh, Jaws, and so many other movies where it was like nature was sick and tired of man; it was going to get its licks in, and and so you can, and th- that could be both taken from a science fiction angle or from a uh, uh, from a supernatural angle. We also had uh, projects where the U.S. government was trying to train dolphins to take my, uh, you know, uh, explosive devices and attach them to enemy uh, uh, subs and things like that, so they could be done covertly. Uh, and, and you know, and and there was movies, you know, um, where, where nature's trying to get back at man. I mean, you know, there was even a, a modern movie done by M. M. Shyamalan, M. Night Shyamalan, The Event. Did it have a twist? Did it have a twist at the end? I don't know. I didn't watch it because it was garbage, but <laughs> but that was sort of like in this vein of of nature striking back at man, and that was a big theme in the seventies. There's a, a, a movie that's just about to come out called The Last Winter, and it's all about uh, the Canadian spirits, the Wendigo, becoming finally aroused because of our treatment, and basically co- coming in and destroying the world as we know it. But but this was a huge theme during the seventies. Exactly, I mean, this, this was huge. huge, totally huge. Lots of movies were written. I mean, lots of, lots of books were written about it, about huge cataclysms that occurred because of it. People surviving after uh, you know the, a total collapse of the ecology. The, yeah, and Dropping uh, a Strain by Michael Crichton was yep. written, I believe, during the seventies. And that was an alien uh, disease that came to us. And don't forget, Planet of the Apes was came out this time too, dealing with at least with with nuclear war. I mean, that easily could have been a plague. Actually, probably it was a plague when all the dogs and cats died. Also, uh, Westworld with Yul Brenner, I think, was also seventies. We're 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 talking about all these movies and stuff that go on. James, you have you have uh, uh what uh what game is it you have coming out? The the first one actually coming out, the racing game. Uh, Death Race Z. Death Race Z. Now that's based off of uh, what your what um, David Carradine's movies, right? Yeah, that's based off to the uh, yep the Roger Corman film, Death Race Two Thousand. Yeah, the original Death Race Two Thousand. Yeah, the original. And you could you could totally play this into you know it's the seventies and all this pollution and you know, I don't know maybe nuclear war or something crazy happens and zombies start to happen. I mean, I don't know, what's the basis of the game? How's it? How do the zombies happen and this race happens? Well, it, behind the game is really where it actually takes place with the uh, fuel crisis in the seventies, and uh, a European uh, chemical company creates a replacement for us for fuel because Americans are like, well, we want our big cars. We're not going to drive around in small little things, and we want gas. So since it wasn't available or we weren't getting it from other sources, we decided to adopt this um, this fuel. Well, this fuel just happened to suddenly start to make people sick. And obviously when they die from it, it re- you know reanimates the corpses. It completely just makes them these primal uh, – I don't even want to call them undead because they're just kind of – bodies where the um the nervous system gets re-stimulated and they just kind of run around attacking things so the plague does they're called just start hitting everywhere start taking down smaller towns so america starts building up its bigger cities with huge walls and everyone living within so in order to get rid of all these plague the government initiates this thing called 
um, the death race, where the at first it ends up being like official, like police officers and things like that going out there, but suddenly uh, corporate media gets a hold of it, and suddenly you have all these people who are pretty much actors or. Uh, you know, just people who want the limelight, athletes going out in these souped-up vehicles to kill the uh, the plagued, and that's pretty much the premise of the game. <laughs> nice. But it, takes, but it takes place in the late '70s, and it's all based on the uh, the fuel crisis. Okay, so this would be like, um, so, so for example, this this would sort of be like an alternate to um, to Bad Mothers. Yeah, it's kind of, yeah, it's kind of an alternate world to that whole like seventies, seventies um, uh, genre. So, so, if we were to do Frenchworthy, what we should probably do then is make Bad Mothers the the prime, the prime world, which has eight portals to it, and then this Death Ray Z would be one of the alternates. So it would be it'd be the the, the Bad Mothers world with uh with an alternate, you know. Um, Historical or something. Exactly, where the twist turned at 1974 with the oil crisis. Excellent. I like that. Because then we could do, if you wanted to, we could could talk about this and come up with seven other alternates that could be possible. We don't have to develop them into other games, but just be suggestions. And then we could put that into the the, the setting and say, you know, this alternate is where this changed and this alternate is where that changed and – Oh, definitely. I mean, there's just, and again, just kind of going back to what you were talking about earlier, uh, just the environmental changes. I mean, if you think about it, a lot of the a lot of the cyberpunk fiction of the '80s was a lot of it was just based off of all the environmental changes and things that were happening in the '70s. Uh, there, there was a mention of uh, dolphins chasing, um, uh, you know, chasing down submarines or carrying missiles. In the short story of Johnny Mnemonic, William Gibson's story, there's um, the yeah, who uh, was pretty much that was that's what he was. He was a um, experiment the military had in the seven, you know, in whatever time frame to go ahead and and chase down uh, submarines. Heck, you could have you know, Damnation Alley is one of the alternates. You know, it's it's it, it's the seventies world. Uh, you know, because a nuclear incident happened, you know, uh, and maybe um, something like the the Bay of Pigs happens, but it goes awry. Or maybe even the Bay of Pigs did go awry, and this is the... Well, Bay of Pigs so, is the 60s, definitely 60s. No, no, I know, no, no, I know, I'm saying... Oh, this I see is, you're saying, yeah. Now we're in the 70s, that the Bay of Pigs went arise, and then this is, you know, 10 years later. Well, the premise of the Damnation Army was that thing, it was, it was more or less an accident, it caused the nuclear war, and they 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 hadn't been lucky to be in a in a secure bunker at the time. Right. Well, I'm saying like we you know we could come up with a bunch of alternates for this. It'd be I think that'd be really cool. Or even take it a little bit further. I mean, '70s also had a lot of really interesting you know as we were talking about earlier, science fiction stories. You know, what about uh, you know moon colonies, space stations, things like oh, sure. that? Just kind of based on the '70s would also just be some. Space 1999? Oh, yeah. Wow, yeah. Yeah, Battlestar Galactica actually was 70s, too, come to think of it. Yeah, the original. Oh, dude, so one of these alternates could be that the the Battlestar Galactica people come to Earth. It didn't work in Battlestar 1980. It's not going to work here. (laughs) 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 What I'm saying for a Fringeworthy campaign, you could, you know, the the Fringeworthy arrive, 
and they happen to encounter this alien species that has arrived to the planet. You could you could develop it any way you want to. I'm just saying. Now, that's, that's science an fiction and black exploitation was actually done by Hanna Barbera. Okay. There was a very limited, a very short ran cartoon called Rickety Rocket. Oh God, I remember if that. Anyone remembers I that? I remember Rickety Rocket. It was a future ghetto. And it was kind of like that whole like Fat Albert and the Cosby uh, kids theme. So you so you had all these like um, ghetto kids wearing uh, silver lame jumpsuits, and they had this talking uh, floating like flying car. But they were, and it was really horrible. If you could find the screen like pictures of it on the internet, the car actually its grill had broken uh, pieces to it, so it looks like it was missing teeth. The um the the bumpers in the front were made to look like big lips. All right, but it was just like incredibly it just done in bad taste. And this was a Hanna Barbera cartoon. I think it went like four or five episodes. Actually, no, no. Actually, look here. It wasn't Hanna Barbera. It was uh, Ruby Spears Productions. Great, different different company. But you know, I'm looking at the pictures. You, you could mistake it for you could mistake it for Hanna Barbera. What, when, was that a standalone show, or was it part of one of those like? It was um, part of the Plastic Man Adventure Hour. That's hey, right. Hey, uh, let's remember, Kung Fu was king in the seventies. Oh, Hong you Kong Fui. Hong Kong Fui, Fu fighting. Bruce Lee was was you know was the big name. So, so so your characters, if you're playing a character in this time. You can know kung fu, okay? You you can know martial arts. In the '60s, it's 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 kind of unheard of. It'd be kind of like really kind of you'd have to be some character who had traveled to the Orient or something. I'll tell you who knew, I'll tell you who knew kung fu. Well, not kung fu, but but they didn't know kung fu. They knew karate, and that's what you used in Man from Uncle, where you had the karate chop to the back of the neck and would knock a guy out instantly. Right, and you had judo chop. Yep, judo chop. Right, but I'm just saying. But in the '70s is really where you can have a character who knows martial arts, and it's not unheard of. It's like you don't have to really make a stretch for it. If you want your character to be someone who knows martial arts, it's really, um, especially like in the mid '70s, later '70s, it's really totally acceptable. Right. And, no, and nobody I mean, has you, a defense against it either. They don't even know how to fight you. This is where Billy Jack got his kick off. Oh yeah, absolutely, Billy Jack, and um, well, of course you got Bruce Lee during that time, and you got uh, uh that's where Chuck Norris gets his yeah. start, right? Enter the Dragon, yeah. Return 70s. of the Dragon, uh, Black Belt Jones, and I can't think of the actors, but the the person that was in Black Belt Jones was, I believe, one of the people from uh, a Bruce Lee movie. But but I mean, it's the the point of the matter is is that that you know if you're playing a character in this time, having martial arts is not out of the question. But oh no. At the same time, having everybody on the team into martial arts is is sort of out of the question because it's it's not right. that you popular should, yet. Yeah, like everybody should have their own thing. Like you have the heavy weapon specialist, you've got the martial artist, you know, the knife thrower. Right. You know, and and I even had a a, a, a Bureau Thirteen adventure one time where they're being chased by uh, guys from you know uh, the the Brotherhood of the Bolt, and they're running through a park, 
And these guys are, you know, they don't want to show off. I mean, they're supposed to be the, you know, they're, they have all these submachine guns, uh, machine pistols it, tucked inside their, their heavy dark suits. And they're chasing down this Bureau 13 agent. And they catch up to him. They start pulling out. And he turns around and just starts kicking the gun straight up in the air and starts Yo, smacking him right across the neck. And he took out like five or six guys using the original Tritech system. But I'm, and, and the player was just shocked. I had no idea you could do this with martial arts, you know, for real. <laughs> oh, right. So... But that's what you. But it was believable because they could believe that people could do crazy things like that with martial arts without it having to be something supernatural. 